Now, some of you might know this, but my phone number it begins with 404. Does anyone know where 404, like that, that area code is from? It's, it's Georgia, yes. <laughs> I think I saw one hand. So why do I keep this number? I mean, some people might ask, you've been, you've been in Northern Virginia for about seven years now. It's about time you come to the 703 area code, right? But for me, uh, it's just convenient because uh, when there's a call from 404, I know that's a spam. Because I, I don't know a single person in Georgia right now. And so I know no one's going to call me from Georgia. Most of the time, people call, like, like when they're spamming you, uh, they call from the same area code. So I, I just know when I see 404, okay, that's, I don't have to pick that up. I don't even have to bother picking that call up. Now, the downside of this is no one really picks up my call. Uh, if I call people here, they always see 404. Okay, that's a weird number. Uh, but I share this because uh, we live in a day and age where it is really hard to trust people. Right? It's hard to see people's intentions. I don't know if you ever talked to someone who was trying to spam you or trying to talk you into to, to buying something or they say that I have a great deal for you and, and this is of your best interest and then they're trying to kind of persuade you to make a financial decision somewhere and they seem really nice on the phone. Like they, they, they seem like they know what they're selling and, and they're trying to convince you to make certain decisions but you wonder deep down inside, are their motives really that pure? Like are their intentions really that good? Are they, are, are they making this phone call for my benefit, for my good, or is, is there an alternative motive to, to their communication? And I think the same can be said about today's passage because in the opening verse of today's passage, we see Jesus once again casting out a demon from a person who's mute. This man cannot speak. It's pretty clear, Luke, he's a physician, he's a doctor, and yet his assessment of this situation is that this is beyond the physical realm. Yes, there's a physical condition, there's a disease that's, that's on display, but behind this disease, there is, there's a demon. There is this spiritual force that's causing this man to, to stay mute, to, to, to struggle with his words. And it says in verse 14, when the demon had gone out, Jesus cast out this demon, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. So Jesus, once again, he provides this miracle. He heals this man by casting out this demon. He frees this man from spiritual oppression. And the reaction of the crowd is that they're amazed at what Jesus has done. And so Jesus displays this incredible picture of, of compassion and, and power. And while most the people there, they are, they are amazed and, and they're marveling at the works of Jesus, you have a few people who were accusing Jesus. And it says in verse 15, this is their accusation. It says, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now, that title, Beelzebul, that is a title that's been studied by many scholars. So much ink has been spilled trying to discover what exactly is this being or this title? Some people would say that it goes all the way back to the Canaanite god um, Baal or Baal, uh, as we pronounce it in English. Some people might say that, oh, this is talking about the, the Philistine god of Ekron. And so there's so many theories and, and interpretations behind this name. But what we do know based on the New Testament is this, based on what Jesus is saying and, and how people are using this phrase, this is probably a reference to Satan himself. Because right after Beelzebub, it says, this guy is the prince of demons. 
And so he's the head of the demons. So the Jews who are using this type of language, they're saying that, hey, like Jesus, he's performing all, all these miracles. The reason why he's able to demonstrate authority over demons is because he's being empowered by the devil. Like, so they're questioning his motives. They're questioning like, the source of Jesus' power. Jesus clearly said that I'm not of this world, right? I'm, I'm the son of God. I, my power comes from the Father. And he's, he made it very clear that, that he's obeying the Father. And yet what people see is that they're saying that, no, Satan is behind this. This, this is not divine power. This is demonic. That's what they're saying. And so they're saying that Jesus is working for the devil, an outrageous claim that they're making. And they're calling out Jesus. They're trying to kind of muddy the waters in, in a sense that they're trying to confuse the people as they're marveling at the works of Jesus. They're like, oh, don't trust him. Like, yeah, on the outside, he's like a good miracle worker. Like, he seems like, seems like a good teacher. But deep down inside, he's of the devil. And then you have a different group in verse 16 that they just need more information. They need more proof. They're just, they just not ready to make that decision to follow Jesus. And so it says, in order to test Jesus, they kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So all they want is more signs, more miracles. And we're going to talk about these, these people next week because Jesus is going to deal with those people. But in today's passage, Jesus responds to those, those skeptics that are questioning the source of Jesus' power, the people who are claiming that Jesus is working for the devil. Now, and you might say, well, this sounds very irrelevant for my life. Why would I think that Jesus is working for the devil and he, his source of power is evil? And because a lot of times we don't question Jesus in such a way. But if you think about it, you know, many people, even modern Christians, we don't really question the power of God, but often we do question the heart of God, the goodness of God. Some people, they go deep in theology they study the doctrine of God's sovereignty, meaning that God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He controls all things, and, and their conclusion is this. If God is all-powerful, if he is controlling everything, then that means evil. He's responsible for that as well. All the pain, the suffering that I experience, the brokenness that I see in my life, can I really trust that God is working for my good? I know that it says that God is working for my good in Romans 8, but can I really trust that when it seems like God, he's using his powers a lot of times for his own sake. Like, why does God place the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden? Is he really wanting us to walk faithfully in his word, or is he setting us up in failure? Is that how he operates in our everyday life? There time and time again, like, we question not the power of God, but really the heart of God. Like, does he really love us? Does he really work for our good? And so in the same way, the people here, they're asking the question, can you really trust Jesus? I mean, if you're going to invest your life into Jesus, if you're going to make that decision to go all in for Jesus, then you have to be able to trust Jesus. And what they're trying to do is they're saying that Jesus cannot be trusted because he's working for the devil. So here's Jesus' response to this accusation. Like, I really think that Jesus makes a great lawyer. And so uh, he gives two clear reasons why like, this accusation is absolutely false. Look at verse 17 and 18. It says this, But he, knowing their thoughts, Jesus knowing their thoughts, knowing what, what's going on in their head, it says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, 
how will his kingdom stand? In other words, Jesus is pointing out the fact that their argument is illogical. It's unreasonable. Why? Because if demons are working for the devil, and these people are claiming that Jesus is working for the devil because he's getting his power from the devil, does that mean the devil is working against himself? Like, that's his logic. Like, your argument is so illogical. Like, you're saying that, okay, Satan is empowering me so that I can cast out these demons. Like, you don't have a house that's divided among itself. A kingdom is not divided among itself. Like, even when we play games, we don't kill our own team, right? Like, we don't shoot hoops into our own, uh, our own basket. Like, you work with your team. And what Jesus is saying is demons are on the same team with Satan. And if I'm working for Satan... Then, then why in the world would I cast out these demons? And so he says that famous phrase, a house that's divided cannot stand. Like Abraham Lincoln, he quotes that when he gives his famous speech, right? Uh, when he's speaking of the North and South against slavery. And, and that's absolutely true that in order for a, a, a country to function properly, there has to be some sense of unity, uh, oneness and spirit. And that's exactly what you're trying to say. And Jesus is is pointing the fact that if Satan is working in such a powerful way through his demons, why in the world would he empower me to work against these demons? So your accusation is illogical. The second thing that he says is this. Your argument is inconsistent. Your argument is inconsistent. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 18. For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. In other words, Jesus is speaking, we know from Matthew 12, that Jesus is speaking mainly to a Jewish audience, the Jewish leaders, Pharisees he's speaking to. And it was believed that, that people, there were some people who were anointed by God, that, that they had the ability to cast out demons. In other words, Jesus is not the only person who can cast out demons. Did you know that? That it is absolutely possible for you or for me, like if you have some sort of, you know, some sort of ability to cast out demons. Now, I say this based on God's word because in Matthew 7, verse 21, it says this. Jesus speaking um, through the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, it is absolutely possible for you to be workers of lawlessness and do marvelous deeds that's the scary part of false teachers like you have signs and wonders and and it and it's hard to explain right like with common reason but it's absolutely true based on God's word that even someone having the ability to cast out demons that doesn't mean that that they can be trusted that doesn't mean that they're always following Jesus faithfully like Jesus says I never knew you but notice Based on this, we know that, that it is absolutely possible for someone else than Jesus to cast out demons. And Jesus says, hey, you look at your brothers. You look at your sons, the Jews among you that, that are casting out demons. And do you rebuke them? No, you don't. 
you actually say that that's the work of God. Like these are anointed men who are doing the work of God. That's what you say. So if you say that about your own people, about your own circle, shouldn't you use the same category for me as well? If you believe that their work of casting out demons is, is by the hand of God, don't you believe that, that, that I'm doing the same thing? Like you're using different categories for the same act. And so what Jesus is saying is your logic is inconsistent. Like you claim that your brothers, like they're working for God when they're casting out demons. When I'm casting out demons, you're saying that I'm working for Satan. Like that's inconsistent, that's illogical, that's unreasonable, so case closed. And so Jesus just, just ends this argument. And now, after highlighting how unreasonable their accusation is, now Jesus is going to highlight this undeniable truth. It says in verse 20, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There is an alternative solution to your problem. Like There is a way to interpret this in a different way. What is that? Could it be? that I'm working for the kingdom of God, that it's by the very finger, the very hand of God that I'm casting out demons. So it's, if it's not through the power of Satan, then it has to be the power of God. That's his argument. And so what he's trying to say to us is this. God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness of Satan, they don't get along. So the first point I want to make is this. If I can summarize this first section in the Gospel of Luke, the passage that we just looked at, it's this. Jesus and Satan... They don't get along. Jesus and Satan, they don't get along. There is no middle ground between Jesus and Satan. Satan belongs to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus belongs to the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is this, because I belong to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness trembles before me. Like, they fear. They, 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 they obey me because I'm from the kingdom of God. So Jesus and Satan, they don't get along. But the second truth that we see from today's text is this. Jesus has power over Satan. Jesus has power over Satan. And this is good news. It says in verse 21, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. So the question now becomes, who is this strong man that Jesus is alluding to? If you read the rest of the passage, it's alluding to Satan. Satan is like this strong man, fully armed, he guards his own palace. What is his palace? It's the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says Satan is called the God of this world. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we see that this fallen world is under the power of, of and the work of Satan. That Satan here in today's passage is described as a strong man. So Satan is, is, is not just this weak being, he is the strong man. They, that he's working in our lives in such a deceitful way. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air. So whenever you follow the course of this world, Jesus says, oh no, Paul says, you are following the prince of the power of the air. That's alluding to Satan. The spirit 
that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So when Satan is working in your life, you are led to disobedience. It says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Now this is is a problem. It's not just a few individuals who are living under demonic forces and, and evil spirits. But what we see is every single one of us that we were living under the scheme of the devil, that we're living according to his ways, and how he leads us. Uh, and, and what does he do? He leads us to, to live according to the passions of our flesh. It says carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now you often see in the news of cases where the article will use this, this phrase gaslighting, right? It's a psycholo- uh, psychological term. Um, it's, it's when there's a victim but the victim has no idea that, that, that they're being abused because there's a person who's abusing this victim, but the way that they're abusing the victim is sharing all these lies. You know, they're in this relationship, abusive relationship, but because uh, this abuser is so good at lying, deceiving, the victim doesn't even know that they're in trouble, doesn't even know that they're being taken advantage of. And at one point, you realize that you walked into these muddy waters and from people outside, it's like, how in the world can you believe in these lies? How in the world can you stay in this toxic relationship? But the victim is like, I thought this person loved me. I thought this person was caring for me. That's what we say when we use the word gaslighting. Did you know that Satan is the master at gaslighting? Like the way that he works in our lives, he's not going to say, well, hey, look at my evil works. Hey, like choose me or, uh, or God. No, that's not how he works. In Genesis 3, it says that Satan came as a crafty, walking, talking snake. And instead of coming in with all this fear and, 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 and death, like what we see is he came with a lie. That he, he twisted God's word and And he made Eve question God's word. And when Eve started questioning God's word, we see that Satan led Eve to question God's goodness. And when Eve was struggling with questioning God's goodness, we see that Satan gives this ultimate lie. And what is his lie? It's simply this. Your life can be better without God. You don't need God and his rules. You don't need to abide by that law where where you're going to stay away from from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. No, you can eat of it. And the moment you eat of it, you're not going to die, but your eyes will be open and you will be like God. In other words, the catch is this. His lie is this, that there's a better life apart from God. The way that Satan is working in your life and my life is this. In a very subtle way, he, 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 he allows us to live according to our desires. That's why it's hard to notice this because what he gives us is what we desire. Right? Our fallenness, we desire a lot of times anger. Like in our frustration, we like, we just, sometimes we just enjoy being angry, although it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Like although we, we don't, we know that being lustful is bad, like in the, that very moment, there's this lie that the enemy says, hey, nothing's going to happen when you act on your lust. Like you're going to be okay. No one's going to know. When we are struggling with our laziness, like the enemy's going to whisper, hey, it's okay. Like don't worry. Like you can take, life in a slow pace like you don't like your life belongs to you you do whatever feels good like you 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 see people struggling with jealousy with greed and in very subtle ways what what's happening in all these different desires is that that satan is misleading us in a way that our desires are not defined by god's word our desires are defined by what simply what we want 
And the more and more we follow these desires, the more and more we fall into this lie where life apart from God is actually not that bad. And so in today's passage, we see that Satan is the strong man, that he has the ability to hold you hostage, not by using his force, but using his lies. Like he's going to have you believe that life is actually not that bad in this abusive relationship when you are being taken advantage of and being destroyed, corrupted. In 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If you're looking for just this scary demon that you see on Halloween to define Satan, you're not going to find it because Satan is actually the expert when it comes to disguising himself, that he's going to look pleasant, he's going to look friendly, and the moment that you let your guard down, he's going to invade your life. But here's the good news. As strong as Satan is, Jesus is stronger. That Jesus is powerful, more powerful than any being in this world. And it says in verse 22, But when one stronger than he, so one stronger than the strong man, attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So Satan, he's protecting his his stuff. He's protecting his territory. But the Bible says one stronger than Satan appears on the scene, and he's going to take, invade what Satan claims to to have rights over, that he's going to go against this strong man. The stronger man is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who frees us from the schemes of the devil. He's the one who frees us from the lies of the devil. It says in 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Luke 10, 18, Jesus says, I have seen Satan fall from heaven. Revelation 12, it says Satan was thrown down, defeated. He knows that his time is short. That's why he's running wild. Because he's a defeated enemy that knows that there's not much time left. Jesus is absolutely stronger And this is good news. You know why? Because a lot of times we live in defeat when it comes to our personal sin. We feel like the struggle that I have with my temptations, with my addiction, with my struggles with identity, with my struggles with understanding my purpose in life, the struggles I have with my anger issues, the struggle I have with my anxiety, my worries, all these different things are too big for me, too strong for me. There's nothing I can do in my life. I, I, I don't know what to do. No counselor can help me. No medicine can help me. And you're less hopeless because you're defeated by the enemy. But today, there's good news because the Bible is reminding us, yes, Satan is strong. Yes, he's deceitful. Yes, he can work in such powerful ways. But Jesus is stronger. That his power, his might, his wisdom is far greater than anything that the enemy has to offer. And he is the strong man. And Jesus is telling the disciples today, and he's telling us today, that he came to invade this world with the kingdom of God and the gospel of grace. It says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. For those who believe in Jesus, this is great, great news. This is a message of hope. There's actually something that could work in my life where I don't have to live as a slave, as a victim of Satan be in his playground, but rather there is actually a savior who's willing to come into my life to free me from all my temptations and my sin. And so Jesus and Satan, they don't get along. Jesus is, is far more powerful than and Satan and, and the demons. And the last thing that we see is this. 
the real problem is not Satan, it's, it's our heart. That's what Jesus is trying to get at in today's passage. The real issue is not Satan because Jesus has authority over Satan. The real issue is not the power of Jesus because Jesus has power that's ultimate. The real problem that we have in our lives is not Satan, it's, it's our heart. It's our unrepented heart. It says in verse 24, a, a very familiar story, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put it in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So here you have a person. We don't know what happened in this person's life. There used to be a demon or an unclean spirit in this person's life. This person's life was a mess. It was, it was, it was, it was broken. But whatever happened in this person's life, that demon left. That demon left for a waterless place, for rest. And, and what we see in verse 25 is when this demon was gone, this person tried to organize the house, tried to clean up the house. And so I just want to bring out three simple truths from what we see here. Number one is this. Your old demons will revisit you. Your old demons will revisit you. A lot of times you think, okay, if I'm in Christ, there's no more temptation, no more struggle with sin. A lot of the things that you struggle before Christ, those temptations will come visit you. And if you are not prepared, you will fall again. If you are not prepared, you'll be tempted again. Like It's not like you're free from temptations. Even Jesus himself, the perfect man, Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in every possible way, yet he did not sin. Absolutely, he was tempted by all these different things. And the second thing that we see is this. Not only will your old demons revisit you, your old problems, your addictions revisit you, but your effort to clean up your life, it won't be sufficient. Your effort to clean up your life, to get your life straight, to, to stay away from evil, by simply trying hard, you're not going to be able to escape those temptations. You know, a person can say, I'm going to work on my anger problems, I'm going to work on my addictions, I'm going to work on my temperament, my depression, my worries, my anxieties. Like, you're going to say, I'm going to do all these different things in my life to make sure my life is straight. But the, what the Bible says is this, your best is not good enough because the guy here, he cleaned up the house, cleaned up the mess. He, he reorganized everything in a very neat way. And yet when the demon returned, the evil spirit, unclean spirit returned, he's like, oh man, we can have a party here, right? I'm not gonna, just going to occupy this place. I'm going to call all my friends. And it says the condition got worse than before. So what's the solution? What you need in your life when it comes to battling your demons, dealing with this unclean spirit and the work of this, the, the devil is this. What you need is not just a quick fix-up or a clean-up. What you need is for the strong man to actually live inside of you. What you need is the strong man, the stronger man, Jesus, to live and dwell inside of you. Now, a lot of times in Christianity, we focus so much on getting rid of the evil in our lives, which is absolutely important. Getting rid of the sin in our lives, absolutely important. But it's one thing for you to turn away from evil. It's another thing for you to fill your life with what is godly. And what Jesus is saying is this. A clean house, an organized house, if it's empty, it's useless. A lot of times, we, under the umbrella of religion, 
try to clean up our lives, try to do certain things to make our lives presentable, pleasant. But one thing that we fail to do is actually allow Jesus to dwell in our lives and have lordship over our hearts. And what the Bible is reminding us is this. If you're the owner of the house trying to clean up your house and you have Jesus visit you from time to time so that he can do like a deep cleaning in your house, you're going to fall whenever the enemy is wanting to attack you. But instead of inviting Jesus over as a guest, if you have Jesus living in your heart, if you are dwelling with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, if you're doing life with Jesus, although you will be tempted, as Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 says, Jesus is going to help you in your weakness, in every temptation. So the key to living a victorious life when it comes to the spiritual battle is not trying harder. It's actually surrender. Surrendering to Jesus, telling Jesus, I need you. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. As you're praying that prayer, according to the Lord's prayer, what you're saying is this. I need you, Jesus, as the stronger man, because there is a strong man who's trying to invade my life. Just I celebrate the fact that you free me. I enjoy the fact that you heal me. But simply healing my life is not good enough. I need you to seal my life. Like sometimes we get so caught up on all the miracles that happen in our life. That's great. If you experience all these crazy miracles, provision of God's grace here and there. But if you're just living off of momentary grace, if you're just living for the next miracle, your life will always be a mess. But if you have the greatest miracle in your life, if God in the flesh, Jesus Christ is dwelling in your heart and he is your Lord and Savior and his spirit dwells in you in the way that Ephesians 5 and 6 describes. If you are safely put together by the armor of God, if you are protected with the word of God and, and the fullness of God's, God's provision, then you don't have to be afraid. But you can live with, with confidence, with, with, with this courage every single day. And so just to summarize today's message it's two sentences. Number one, a house can't be divided. Number two, a house can't be empty. Like, is your heart divided? Is your life divided over certain things? A heart that's divided cannot stand. If you're trying to serve Jesus in certain areas but take ownership over other areas of your life, a heart divided will never be able to stand. Is your life simply empty? Like, it's not necessarily that messy, but is it empty in a way that you're still trying to manage all these different things in your life? Jesus is inviting you to surrender and say, it's not just good enough for you to experience my power from time to time, but what you need is my very presence. And the good news is this, because Jesus died on the cross, because he lived a life that we could not live, he he died the death that we deserve to die because he defeated the enemy that we could never defeat because he made a way for us when we were lost, broken, dead in our sin and he made himself available so that once that we believe in him, trust in him, that he gives us his new life, he allows us to be on this journey. He actually says that you can be at my feet, you can do life with me. He's inviting us to bind in him. In John 15, he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, like that's when you bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing so don't think you can live a successful life a life that's honoring to god apart from jesus he's not just someone that should visit your life from time to time make him the lord 
the owner of your life. Amen? Let's pray.